All right, that's the story of Rahab. Isn't that a sweet story? <laughs> Unfortunately, that's not the whole story. I'm afraid the stories in the Bible aren't quite so clean and pristine, are they? In order for us to hear the whole story of Rahab and so we might understand who God is and who God's calling us to be, I, I would invite you to open your pew Bibles to Joshua, <clears throat> Joshua chapter 6. Uh, we'll actually begin at verse 1. It may be found on page 230 of your pew Bible, Joshua chapter 6, <clears throat> beginning at, uh, at verse 1. Listen to the word of the Lord. Now Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all the men of war going around the city once. Thus you shall go for six days. Do for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram horns before the ark. On the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. And when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall go up, everyone straight before him. So Joshua, the son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram horns before the Ark of the Lord. And he said to the people, go forward, march around the city and let the armed men pass on before the Ark of the Lord. And just as Joshua had commanded the people, the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram horns before the Lord went forward, blowing the trumpets with the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord following them. The armed men were walking before the priests who were blowing the trumpets, and the rear guard was walking after the ark while the trumpets blew continually. But Joshua commanded the people, you shall not shout or make your voice heard, neither shall any word go out of your mouth until the day I tell you to shout. Then you shall shout. So he caused the ark of the Lord to circle the city going about it once, and they came into the camp and spent the night in the camp. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and the priests took up the ark of the Lord, and the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of the ram's horns before the ark of the Lord walked on, and they blew the trumpets continually, and the armed men were walking before them, and the rear guard was walking after the ark of the Lord, while the trumpets blew continually. And the second day they marched around the city once, and returned into the camp. So they did for six days. On the seventh day... They rose early at the dawn of day and marched around the city in the same manner seven times. It was only on that day that they marched around the city seven times. And at the seventh time, when the priests had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city, and the city and all that is within it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall live because she hid the messengers whom we sent. But you keep yourselves from the things devoted to destruction, lest when you have devoted them, you take any of the devoted things and make the camp of Israel a thing for destruction and bring trouble upon it. But all silver and gold and every vessel of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord. They shall go into the treasury of the Lord. So the people shouted, and the trumpets were blown. As soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted a great shout, and the wall fell down flat. So the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they captured the city. Then they devoted all the city to destruction, both men and women, young and old, oxen, sheep, and donkeys with the edge of the sword. That didn't make our little cartoon, did it? That wasn't in there, but that's how it happened. 
But to the two men who had spied out the land, Joshua said, go into the prostitute's house and bring out from there the woman and all who belonged to her as you swore to her. So the young men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab and her father and mother and brothers and all who belonged to her. They brought out all her relatives and put them outside the camp of Israel. And they burned the city with fire and everything in it. Only the silver and gold and the vessels of bronze and of iron they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. But Rahab, the prostitute, and her father's household and all who belonged to her, Joshua saved alive. And she has lived in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent out to spy in Jericho. Here ends the reading of God's word. As the prophet Isaiah tells us, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Gracious and heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your written word, and we pray, O Lord, that by your Holy Spirit, you would guide us now. Guide me, Lord, and may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your holy sight. Through your Son's precious name, we pray, and all God's people said, amen. Now Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. None went out, and none came in. Jericho was a fortified city with a large wall surrounding it. We actually have a a picture that some uh, scholars, archaeologists have drawn. If you remember from last Sunday, uh, when Moses sent out his 12 spies to go spy out the promised land, 10 of them came back with a very negative report. They said, oh, the cities are fortified and the people are very tall. There's no possible way that we can go into these cities and overcome them. And of course, there were two spies, Joshua and Caleb, who believed and had faith in God. They said, but God is with us, and we can overcome them. We can overtake them. But the other ten spoke so loudly with the negative report that the people of Israel wouldn't believe the the faithful testimony of Joshua and Caleb. So ultimately, God decides that because these people don't have faith, he's not going to allow them to go into the promised land. Everyone who was 20 and older would not be allowed to go into the promised land. And so for 40 years, the people of Israel have had to wander in the wilderness Until they all die off, Moses is now dead, but the spirit is now on Joshua, and Joshua, that faithful spy from so many years ago, is now leading the people of Israel. Archaeologists tell us that Jericho, the city we just saw a picture of, that its wall was five feet thick and at least 12 feet high. And as the people looked at that walled city, those first set of spies, those 10 spies saw that and said, there's no way we can do this. But Joshua and Caleb with great faith said, with God, anything is possible. And so this morning we pick up the story with Joshua now, wisely only sending out two spies, right, to go out, not all 12, just send two. And in ancient times, if you wanted to overwhelm a a city like Jericho that had such a, a high wall, there were three things you could do. You could take ladders or ramps, you could climb over the wall, or you could dig underneath the wall, or you could try to go through the wall. But this wall was five feet thick and 12 feet high. It wasn't possible to go through that wall. Everyone would have thought, you know, the better thing would be to go over the wall. But that's not what God asks them to do, is it? God tells them to walk around the city once a day for six days. Then on the seventh day to walk around the city seven times. And the whole time they're to to blow trumpets. And then on the seventh day as they're blowing the trumpets, they're supposed to shout to the Lord. Now it's interesting, the Hebrew word that we we read in Joshua 6 saying shout can also be translated as raise a glad cry to rejoice particularly as a part of worship. In fact, in Psalm 95, verses 1 through 2, the word is used, shout. It's used to talk about worshiping God. 
And I'm going to read from the New American Standard Version of the Bible. It's the most literal translation, word for word, New American Standard Version. We use the ESV. It's very faithful as well, but it's easier to read than the New American Standard Version. But this is what 90, Psalm 95, 1-2 says. Oh, come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to him with psalms. Notice in Joshua 6, it's the priests who are blowing the trumpets. And the people are shouting, shouting to God, thanking God for the deliverance of the city of Jericho to them because they believe, as Joshua has told them, that God is going to give them the city. As God tells Joshua in verse 2 of our text, see, I have given Jericho into your hand and with its king and the mighty men of valor. Joshua hears God's word and he believes God's word and he seeks to obey it. Do we believe God's word when we hear it? Are we willing to obey God's word no matter what God might call us to do? Even the ridiculous, like the people of Israel walking around a city seven times, blowing trumpets and yelling, thinking that that would bring the walls down? Do we hear God's word? Do we trust God's word? Are we willing to obey God's word? When our 401k loses 10 to 15% of its value in just one short month because of a downturn in the stock market, or oil prices go from 120 a barrel to $30 a barrel, do we get scared and anxious, or do we trust God? When the economy of our country seems unstable, do we worry, or do we trust God? Actually, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about the, the problem of worry, In Matthew chapter 6, he says this. Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Jesus is basically telling the people at the Sermon on the Mount that the next time you become anxious, look at the birds. Look at the lilies of the field. See how God feeds these birds and how he clothes these lilies. Aren't you more important than the birds and the lilies? Don't you know that our God is going to take care of you? Don't worry about tomorrow. Today has enough concerns of it on its own. It's been interesting over the last two years, my family has developed a pattern. Uh, Our pattern is that basically uh, one of our family members is going to go to the ER room uh, at least once with some kind of emergency. I'm a little nervous because it might be my year. I have no idea. We'll see how it plays out. Uh, every time we go to the emergency room, though, at BSA, I'm always grateful that Cody Welch, uh, Dr. Cody Welch, is a member of our congregation, uh, works at the ER, and so uh, I text him, and he makes sure that we get the, great, the best care possible, and I, I know that we're going to be well taken care of, and, and of course, when uh, one of my loved ones is rushed off to the emergency room, you know, I send out a text or an email to close friends and family and say, hey, please start praying, so-and-so is going to the hospital, or so-and-so is going to the emergency room, and, and so we start praying, and, and the doctors do their tests, and they come back with their diagnosis, and they explain 
what's going on and what's going to happen. And, and they offer a word of assurance. But inevitably, we've had to spend a night, uh, o- o- an overnight at the hospital. And so as we're spending the night in the hospital and with my loved one who's, who's been uh, hurt or sick, or I'm praying and, and, and worrying and thinking. And, and, I, and I, I'm so grateful that God, it seems like they're going to be okay physically. But then I begin to start to think and ask questions like, how much is this room going to cost? <laughs> I wonder how much of my insurance is I'm going to be uh, responsible for and how much will the insurance cover on these medical expenses. I wonder how much that CAT scan is going to cost. You know, Lord, I've got a big tax bill, that quarterly tax bill coming. I've got to pay that. Man, I really don't need a big medical bill right now. God, how are you going to take it? And I start to worry. And, and in the midst of that anxiety, in the midst of that worry, I get up and I, and I go for a little walk just to kind of clear my head. And, and both times I've been walking, and as I've been walking down the halls of the hospital at BSA, I, I have these, there's these huge windows, and I'll walk out and I'll just look outside for just a moment, and I'll see the beautiful blue skies of Amarillo, and inevitably every time I've seen birds fly by. And I've been reminded of this text that Jesus says, don't be anxious about tomorrow. Consider the birds. Consider the lilies of the field. If God takes care of the birds and the lilies, isn't he going to take care of you? When we become worried, do we remember the promises of God? Do we remember the words of God? So we might find peace in knowing that God is with us. And I'm reminded that God has taken care of his people in the past, and he's always taken care of me, and I know he will in the future. After 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, miraculously being fed by the manna from heaven, this manna that shows up every morning and they're able to gather it and eat it, and and the miraculous water that has come from rocks, the people of Israel have begun and been trained to believe in God, to know that their God will provide for them, to know that their God will take care of them no matter the circumstances. And so when God tells them to march around the city seven times, to simply blow trumpets and simply to yell, they know that God has a plan and he is going to give them the victory. No matter how silly it may seem to walk around a city, to, to do what God says, they say, what, this is what God says, this is what we're going to do. When we hear God's word, do we do what he says? Are we willing to obey it no matter what it says, no matter how comfortable, uncomfortable it may make us feel to do what God says? When Jesus tells us in the Sermon on the Mount to pray for those who are enemies and pray for those who who persecute us and pray for those who who hurt us, do we pray for them or do we talk about them? Even though the Bible continually talks negatively and condemns gossip and slander, do we do that or do we do what God calls us to do, which is to pray and to meet with those we have conflict with? When Jesus tells us to turn the other cheek when we're insulted, to go the extra mile when asked, Do we do it or do we seek revenge? When Jesus tells us to treat others the way we would want to be treated, do we do it? Rahab did. Rahab encounters these two Israeli spies, spies who who plan to help destroy her city. And Rahab treats them the way she would want to be treated if she were them. She helps them. She, she allows them to hide in her house, even at own risk of her own life. She, she allows them to hide in her house, and then she lowers them through the window of her, of her house, and she tells them how they, might, how they might avoid their pursuers. Why does Rahab help her enemies? Why does Rahab help the very people who are planning to destroy her city? Why was she so kind in treating them the way that she would want to be treated if she had been them? Why does she help her enemies? Listen to her explanation in Joshua chapter 9 that we find, Joshua chapter 2, sorry, Joshua chapter 2, beginning at verse 9. Rahab says, 
I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our our hearts melted and, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. Rahab helps the Israeli spies because first of all, she knows that as verse nine states in her words, I know, I know that the Lord has given you the land. She knew that the God of Israel, Yahweh, the God of Israel had given them the land, that the city of Jericho was bound for destruction because Yahweh, the most powerful God of all, had given them the land. And as she says in verse 11, for the Lord your God, Yahweh your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Rahab helps the Israeli spies at great risk of her own life because she recognizes that Yahweh, the God of Israel, is the God of heavens above and the earth beneath. He is the Lord of all. And she wants to make sure that in the end, she is going to be on his side. But how is it that a Canaanite prostitute sees that Yahweh is Lord? Notice that she says, I know that the Lord has given you the land. She doesn't say that we know. Yes, it's true that the people in the city of Jericho had heard about the victories that God was giving the Israelites, and, and so they were nervous and scared. But rather than surrendering to this mighty, powerful God, they think, well, we're in a fortified city and we can defend ourselves. We'll protect ourselves. We'll fight till the very end. One commentator I read pointed out that the reason God has them walk around the city once a day for six days, and then finally on the seventh day, seven times around, is so that God might give them every opportunity to surrender. For as you read through the scriptures, you'll see time and time again, God takes the sojourner, the outsider, and he allows them to be a part of his covenant community. Ruth, she was a Moabite, and yet God uses Ruth and allows her to be a part of the covenant community of faith. Yes, why is it that this Canaanite prostitute was able to see what others in her community could not see? that Yahweh is Lord, he's the God of gods. He's given the the land into the hands of the Israelites. After all, prostitutes were not known for being well-educated religious women. Prostitutes were, were humble people whose spirit had been broken by their occupation. They were forced to do things that they didn't want to do in order for them to eat, in order for their families to eat. Prostitutes were ostracized by other women and, and, and men just used them for their own desires. Prostitutes lived lonely and empty lives. I'm afraid the cute little cartoon missed a major detail. Rahab was a prostitute. Rahab was not a woman that the community looked up to. And notice in our text in Joshua chapter 6, when when Joshua mentions Rahab for the first time in Joshua chapter 6, verse 16 to 17, Joshua says this, He says to the people of Israel, shout for the Lord has given you the city and the city and all that is within it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall live because she hid the messengers whom we sent. 
Joshua makes it real clear that it's Rahab the prostitute that we're going to save. He doesn't say Rahab our ally, Rahab our supporter, Rahab our friend. No, she says Rahab the prostitute because Rahab was known by her occupation. She was known as a woman who had sold her body to provide for her family. And unfortunately, Rahab's identity was wrapped up in her profession. And it was a dark, cold profession that left a person feeling broken and empty inside. How is it that a humble, uneducated Canaanite prostitute was able to see that Yahweh is God? In the Sermon on the Mount, in the very first sentence that Jesus says, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Rahab's profession made her poor in spirit. She was desperate for help, desperate to help her family that she loved so much. That's why she was able to see what others couldn't. That the Lord your God, Yahweh, is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. As we continue to read through the story, the grand narrative of Scripture, we will see that time and time again, God reveals himself and shows himself to those who are poor in spirit, to those who are desperate for God and desperate for help. The first I am statement that we find in the Gospel of John, the Greek is ego eimi. Jesus says many I am statements. He says, I am the gate, I am the good shepherd, I am the bread of life. But his very first I am statement in John is found in John chapter four when there's a Samaritan woman, a Samaritan woman who had to come to the well during the heat of the day because, well, she'd had five husbands and the man she was now with was not her husband. She'd been very promiscuous and all the women made fun of her and so she had to go to the well in the heat of the day to get some water, to draw water. And Jesus sees this broken woman, this desperate woman, this poor woman, poor in spirit, and reveals himself to her and says, I am he, the Messiah that all the world is waiting for. In James chapter four, verse six, we read, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Throughout the Bible, we will see that God gives grace, his unmerited favor to the humble, to people like Rahab who are poor in spirit desperate for help. I imagine Rahab had spent years as a prostitute and she'd probably cried out to the gods of Jericho, the gods of the Canaanites, many, many times to save her from her profession, to save her from her circumstances, and yet they never answered her because those gods are not real. And as she heard about this powerful God of the Israelites, Yahweh, she said, this God is the one true God. He is the God who can save me, who can help me. Yes, Rahab had heard the stories of how God gave the Israelites victory over the Egyptians, the most powerful army back then. And the Amorites, and Rahab heard the stories of Yahweh, and she humbly believed, she humbly believed because she was poor in spirit, desperate for help, desperate to find a God who could help her and her family. And in desperation, she humbly believed in the God of Israel, and she wanted to see how she might be a part of what he was doing. Are we poor in spirit today? Are we desperately seeking after God so that we can see God at work in our midst? Or do we spend much of our lives trying to be self-sufficient, focusing on what we want and what we can do rather than what God is doing today? I don't know about you, but when I face a problem, my initial reaction is to, is to try to fix it, right? I'm thinking, What's, what, there's a problem, let's fix it. After all, I had been a consultant prior to becoming a pastor with Price Waterhouse, and I was hired by clients like Texaco, Chevron, Mobile, Amarada Hess, big clients, paid a lot of money, to help fix their problems. And we would work and come up with some great solutions every now and then. 
But what happens when the problem seems unsolvable? What are we to do when the financial crisis comes? The job is lost, the illness comes, or the relationship ends. Rather than asking, what do I need to do to fix this problem? Maybe we should ask the question, what is God doing in the midst of this? Because as we read scriptures, we'll see that God never abdicates control of this world. He is constantly moving, constantly advancing, constantly at work. The better question is to say, how can I participate in what God is doing? Rahab saw how God was moving through the Israelites and she wanted to be a part of it. The writers of Hebrews says this, writers of Hebrews chapter 11, verse 31 about Rahab. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Rahab the Canaanite prostitute was saved because she believed and she acted on her faith by hiding the spies, something she believed the God of Israel would want her to do. She knew that God was at work in the lives of the Israelites. She knew that God was going to give the Israelites victory. And so she thought, how can I help? How can I participate in the work of Yahweh, the Lord of both heaven and earth? Yes, today we celebrate Rahab's faith. We don't celebrate her occupation. We celebrate that a humble prostitute from Canaan, from Jericho, was able to see that Yahweh, the God of Israel, is the one true God. And so in concert with her faith, she helped the spies, thereby participating in the work of God's kingdom. God and Joshua honor Rahab's faithfulness by an act of amazing grace. And they welcome her into the covenant community of faith, even though she had grown up on foreign gods and followed them in the past. I imagine if Rahab knew John Newton's hymn, Amazing Grace, she would have sung that opening stanza with gusto. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saves a wretch like me. As a prostitute, Rahab knew that she was a wretch, a sinner in need of God's grace, a sinner who needed to be saved. And we're all Like Rahab, are we not? Sinners in need of God's grace. Sinners who need God's salvation. That's why Jesus came. Jesus came to save sinners like Rahab, sinners like you and like me. For in his great love for us, God did not abandon us in our sin. No, he sent his son, born as a baby in a lowly manger, who grew up among us and taught us, healed us, lived in perfect obedience to our Heavenly Father to the point of death on a cross as the perfect sacrifice for our sins. And then on the third day, he rose again, conquering sin and death on our behalf so that we all might be saved, so that our sins might be atoned for, so that we might be saved by grace through faith. If we'll simply receive that gift, as Rahab did. Of course, the most remarkable part of the Rahab story for me personally is found in what Bill read in Matthew chapter 1. As you read through the genealogy of Jesus, we can see that God chose to use Rahab, a Canaanite prostitute, to be a part of the family tree of Jesus. This outsider, this sinner, this ostracized woman was brought into the covenant community of faith through her faith. And God chose to use her to help further the work of his kingdom. God chose to use her and her bloodline to eventually help save the world through Jesus Christ. If God can use an uneducated, humble prostitute like Rahab to help fulfill his plan of salvation, can't he use us today? Can't God use us to help point others to Jesus so they too might, be believe, so they too might believe and be saved? God will use us if we'll humble ourselves like Rahab did 
and faithfully treat others the way we want to be treated so that others may see our good deeds and as Jesus says, give glory to our heavenly Father. Yes, God can use us to be an instrument of his grace if we'll humble ourselves and treat others the way we want to be treated so that we might point others to Jesus and they too might believe and be saved. Thanks be to God for the example of Rahab's faith that we have today. May we seek to walk humbly as she did. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, we give you thanks so much for Rahab and the story of Rahab and the fact that you chose to use a Canaanite prostitute to help do the work of your kingdom and how she's a part of the genealogy of Jesus. And as we can see, if you can use her, we know you can use us. So Lord, may we humbly come before you, poor in spirit, desperate for your help, seeking your kingdom above all else. And by your grace, may you use us. As you give us faith and eyes to see, may we seek to do the work of your kingdom as Rahab did by treating others the way we'd want to be treated so that you might be glorified, so that others might come to know the saving love of Jesus Christ. We pray this in the strong and precious name of your son who is the Christ and all God's people said, amen.